Before we get to the message, let me know right now, where are you watching from? Where are you joining from? Our EFAM around the world, welcome. I'm excited to bring God's Word to you today. Also, April 18th through 27th, ElevationNights.com, our Elevation Nights Spring Tour. It's me, Holly, Elevation Worship, a word from God, the Spirit of God, your favorite songs. All right, here's where we're coming. Austin, Texas, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Kansas City, Missouri. I'm tired. Denver, Colorado. Oh, that altitude got me. St. Louis, Missouri, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Toronto, Ontario. We will see you. ElevationNights.com. Get your tickets right now. Let me know where you're joining us from. I want to see it in the comments. Let's go to the Word of God. It is a tremendous honor to be here today and uh, to be with this amazing team. How about the new songs? I had, maybe they're not new to anybody but me, but good Lord. That's why I would say sing it again. When you have a team like this ministry has, you, are, you people are spoiled rotten and you don't even know it. You act like that's normal music and that's normal worship. What is wrong with you? And then, uh, you know, to, to see Stephen and see Holly and see their beautiful family fulfilling that dream. He does not just uh, get up and preach. There is a tremendous price that is paid to bring a fresh word from the Lord. He is not a robot kind of preacher deal. He can't just get up and say it. He does so much more than that when he preaches. And you know that's the truth, especially you who are sitting here and at all the campuses every week. And people have no idea. They have no idea. The battles, the mental battles, the spiritual battles, not just he, but Holly and the family carry a tremendous, tremendous load. And I get emotional about it because I've watched God do it at my place. And I've been there for 30 something years. And uh, when I see in my mind kids doing what they're doing so quick, so fast, God is up to something that we can't even imagine with this ministry. And if you'll be faithful, and I know you will, it includes every one of you and your gift and what God has planned for you. And I want to just preach a few moments this morning, but I want to go to the book of John chapter 21. I don't preach long. They usually have me on a clock for 30 minutes starting right now. And uh, I'll preach about 30 minutes and then the keyboard guy can come out and I'll know my 30 minutes is up. <laughs> but I want to read something. I do believe the Lord gave me a message for this place. I do, especially after hearing the last song, it freaked me out. The last song freaked me out because one of the lines in it was write another story. I actually, I gave them five titles for one sermon and one of them was write another story. And I honestly, I'm, I'm kind of blown away at that, but that's how God does it. John chapter 21. I'll begin reading 
with verse, let's go to verse um, John 21. Let's go to verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are so many other things that Jesus did. Listen to this, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. While you have your Bible open, flip over to the Old Testament. Just one quick scripture in Jeremiah chapter 30. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah chapter 36. And I'll make reference to this and that way we won't do it. I'll just keep moving. Verse 22. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the heath before him or the fireplace. And it happened when Jehoda had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife. Some translations say the pen knife. We would call it a pocket knife and cast it into the fire that was on the heath until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fireplace. I want to talk to you for just a few moments and I'll give you my title as I go along. But I do believe the story is still being written over Elevation Church. I really do believe that churches, when you reach where you are as a ministry, will do one of two things. You will become a peruser of history. You just live in the greatness of what God has done in the past, or you continue to write history. And you have to choose by your faith and your belief in what God is going to do as a foundation off of what he's already done. The best days, I declare today, are ahead. The best years are not behind you. The most creative, powerful, open, incredible opportunities are not behind you. It's yet to be written over you. There is a group of people in the scriptures that I want to talk about this morning, and you'll read right over it and think it doesn't mean anything, but it does. They're known as scribes. Scribes in the Bible came from the tribe of Zebulun. Ezra was a priest, but he was also in the Old Testament a scribe. The job definition of a scribe would be to have access into throne rooms and into courtrooms, have access into places that most people will never get access in, th in the throne room like a scribe would get every day. And his one purpose was to take a pen and a piece of paper and hear the conversation in the throne room where the king was and write it down and then present it to people. That's what a scribe did. He, he, he had a pen and paper scroll and he would write. He had a very special role to record history, to write it. And in doing so, he was making history. It would be history that was 
being made at that very moment that it was being written. I think about the story of Esther in the sixth chapter of the book of Esther and how that the Bible said on a certain night, this involved a scribe, this whole miracle of Esther and a whole uh, group of uh, a whole Jewish nation was on death row. And the only thing that saved them was a scribe. The Bible said the king couldn't sleep. And in order to get drowsy, he called for the scribe to bring the books that had been chronicled and read them. And he just so happened the scribe to open up and start reading. And he said, on such and such a day, there was an assassination attempt that was going to happen. But a man, a Jew by the name of Mordecai, sat outside the gate and he overheard the assassins saying what they were going to do. And he reported it to someone in the palace. And because of that, we stopped the assassination attempt and the king was not killed and the kingdom stayed strong. And the king woke up and he said, say that again, read that again. What did you say? I didn't know that. I didn't know that was in the records. You mean, what did I do to reward this man? He was not aware. And when he heard it, he said, bring Mordecai to the Jew. And I don't have time to read the whole and preach the whole story. You have to read the rest of the story for yourself. That's not what I'm preaching about. But what I want you to see is he reminded the king of his obligations, that something had been done and the king had an obligation to do something. Take good notes when the king talks. When you hear words from the Lord like you hear on a regular basis that the man's probably walked through something that we can't even imagine, pull a pen and a piece, put your phone out and and write down when you hear the king make you a promise, write it down. Remind the king of his obligations. So powerful were scribes. Think of this, that when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Uh, with his Babylonian army, the nation of Israel and took the city of Jerusalem and leveled it. The scripture said he gave in second Kings chapter 25, special instructions. He said, you are to arrest. He said this to his military, arrest their generals, arrest their military leaders, arrest the royal seed or the royal family. The family's a threat. Everybody he's talking about is a threat. And then he makes this profound statement and make sure that you arrest the principal scribe. I'm scared. Nebuchadnezzar and his mighty Babylonian army. I'm scared to death of the principal scribe, the guy who gets in the throne room and hears conversations and writes them down and communicates it to the people is one of the most dangerous individuals to my Babylonian culture. Because if he hears, he has the capacity to go back and remind the people of where they have been before and wow, that they didn't see a way back then. And if God could do it, then he can do it again. And that's why he's dangerous. When they were taken into captivity in Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah asked the question, will we ever be assembled again? We're so scattered. We're so defeated. We're so humiliated. Will we ever be a people again? And God gave him a message and he said, remember what I did for Egypt and how I brought Moses out. But then God said, but I've got news for you. That for them was a That for them, for you, the story of 
of uh, Moses and the, and the Israelites coming out of Egypt, that for you is a story. But for them, it was a miracle. And somehow we have to go from doing more than reading this book and it being stories about David against Goliath and stories of Hezekiah having a death sentence and being given 15 more years. We have to go beyond reciting and then we need to pull out our pen and start writing and say, if he ever did it before, all the stories that are written are just to let us know he's the same God today. What he did for 17 years, he'll do it again and and again and again from faith unto faith, from glory unto glory. Take a praise break. If you believe, he'll do it again. God said, Jeremiah, I don't want you to just read about Moses and how he brought them out, but I'm telling you, I have a remnant that is going to come from the north, south, east, and west, and you're going to write a new chapter, and you're going to see my faithfulness in your life, in your family, in your generation, against your giant. I'm not playing games. If I ever did it before, if he ever healed cancer before, he can do it again. If he ever redeemed and restored a family and a marriage, he can do it again. Sit down. When I think about, and I don't even know all the stories, when I think about Chunks and his wife and I think about Stephen and I think about his family coming here with nothing but a dream. And you've done so much, so fast, so incredibly, so well. You sure have impacted my life and my ministry. We sing your songs every week. And I travel all over the world, and I'm telling you, people do all over the world. What happens in this room, it can't stay in this room because you you, for whatever reason, have been given access to the throne room. And God says, Stephen, come in here. And God says to the team of musicians and singers, come in here. Now, don't take this like it's normal. Don't act like you're just another ministry. Don't go around. Stay humble. Stay obedient. Stay pure. Stay clean. Because I'm trusting you with throne room stuff. And write it down. Give me all the glory. It'll never stop. As a matter of fact, I'll give more instructions. I'll give more words. I'll give more uh, ascribing the greatness of God through song. I'll give it more and more and more. But what we need in this hour... When I'm fighting hell, I don't need somebody to give me a story. I need somebody to give me a pen. God wants to change the period to a comma. He's still doing miracles. And the most dangerous place that a church can get is when they do more reading than writing. 
The most dangerous place that a person in their walk with God can get is when all they can do is recite history of how God used to move in your life and how you used to have devotion and how you used to really be on fire and couldn't wait to get here. The most dangerous season in your life is when you're focused more on where you have been instead of where you're going and where you are. This is why scribes in the New Testament were extremely unpopular with Jesus. I cannot find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus ever complimented scribes. He was always saying, like in Matthew 23, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees. They followed Jesus around. And every time he was trying to give them a fresh page of new miracles. All they could do is compare it to the old book of Moses and say, you can't do that because we're living over here in what used to be. Stop reading your history and get your pen out. I appreciate the 17 years, but your best chapters have yet to be written. I don't know who I'm preaching to except this church, and you are the church, not buildings, it's the people. God, when I'm saying church, I'm saying if you're affiliated with this thing, he is about to give you your best chapters. I believe this. One of the great stories, I'm going somewhere and I'll get there, just relax. Just, just go with me a minute. In Judges chapter 5, Deborah is a singer, but nobody would fight, so she jumps on the horse. And a singer goes out on the front line and starts leading the charge. And when she looked behind her, all the 12 tribes of Israel were there, but only one of them followed her into battle. The name of that tribe was Zebulun. And when the battle was over and the victory was won, she turned around and the spirit of prophecy came upon her. And she said, because of your courage and because of your fearlessness and because of your willingness to go out and fight and do what you could do on the battlefield when I led you with nothing but a song and went into the battle and you followed the tribe of Zebulun, this prophecy is spoken over the tribe of Zebulun in Judges chapter 5 and verse 14, out of you, Zebulun, will come those, a people who know how to handle the pen. Out of Zebulun, they that handle the pen of the writer will come. In other words, your weapon will be your pen. I'm going to give you things and I'm going to give you songs and I'm going to give you words and I'm going to give you books and I'm going to give you dreams and I'm going to give you visions and it's going to get in your fingers and it's going to get in your chord structures and it's going to get in your lyrics and it's going to get in your sermons and I'm going to give you the hand of the writer. 
Because if I'm going to do something, I can't have a church that's living in what I used to do and how I used to sound and the new music and the new flow and the new anointing. I need somebody who will start with a fresh page and say, God, we don't have to be like every other church. We don't have to sound like every other sound. We don't have to act like everybody else. We want a fresh instruction from the throne room. Now watch this. It's interesting that in 2 Chronicles, the Bible said that the tribe of Zebulun was paired with the tribe of Issachar. For 40 years, they camped out together, those two tribes. Issachar, the Bible says of Issachar, it says that they had understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do. But the one that God trusted to stay with them and pair up with them was a little tribe called Zebulun that had the anointing to write down what God's, they had the understanding of what was going on. They understood what the devil was up to. They understood what God was up to and they knew what Israel, the church, ought to do. And he said, you write it down. They were not intimidated by transition. But what is amazing, and I can't make this up, you just go study it for yourself. The people with the hand of the ready writer, the people became a place. Because the Bible said in the book of Matthew and in the book of Isaiah chapter 9, a great light shall come to the people of Zebulun. Prophecy, messianic prophecies. And then in Matthew chapter 1, it talks about the genealogy of Jesus. And here's what's amazing. Do you know where the tribe of Zebulun settled? on the Sea of Galilee in an area called Capernaum where Jesus did more miracles in that region than any other spot on planet Earth. He healed everything that got around him broken. And he wanted to do it where there would be pens and paper it ought to have been a scribe's heyday. Let's see what he's going to do today. Let's hear what he's going to preach. But instead, they follow him around and he heals somebody and they come up and say, Moses and the law said, you can't heal on the Sabbath. How dare you do that? My God, I can't. Instead of writing down and proclaiming revelation and truth. They're living in yesterday. And Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, came out of the wilderness. And I, I want to preach right there, but I got to keep moving. But can I throw you one little thing? The Lord spoke to me. He said, if the devil comes against you like he did me in the desert of your life with unusual opposition with an unusual satanic temptation trying to destroy you from what I've called you to do. There are seasons, you don't live like this, but there are seasons where you need to, 
You need to match his level of aggression. That's what Jesus said. If you're coming at me with extreme temptation and extreme demonic opposition, I'll match that. I'll come at you with extreme fasting, extreme prayer, extreme dedication, extreme worship. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Every now and then we need to break out of our little thing. When God's about to do something new, we need to get to a point that we tap into the level of the extreme every once in a while. I'm so tired of little cookie cutter churches and services. Every once in a while, we need to break out of the routine and say, God, I want to see the extreme move of God for a few days around here. Tap your hands and praise him. I don't know. I don't know. I got to hurry. All right. All right. Now watch. Jesus comes out of the desert and walks into the synagogue in the region of Zebulun. And he opens up the book and he begins to read from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, to open the eyes of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bound and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then the Bible said, and every eye was fastened on him. You got to understand, they had heard that over. They, it was a young, fat, fat, uh, uh, young fest. They were just sitting out there. Oh, we've heard this sermon, blah, 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 blah. But this time when he walked in and opened that book, the Bible said every eye was fastened on him. And then he walked over. He said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And he hand closed the book, closed it, said, I'm done with that chapter. Now get your pen out, boys. Y'all aren't supposed to be the writers. Let's go do this. But they wouldn't do it. This day, it's fulfilled. This day, I don't want you just reciting the history stories. I want you writing what I'm doing in this day. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You would think that every one of those scribes would have been so happy, but they were so locked into what God had done that they would not receive what he wanted to do. Listen to me carefully. God says, I'm giving this ministry a weapon. And your weapon will be the weapon of the pen. Songwriters, praise team, worship leaders, God's giving you the weapon of the pen. I've been doing this a long time. I started going over to Australia and preaching at Hillsong when it was a church smaller than what I'm looking at in this room. They had no campuses. They were not worldwide. They had one hit song when I went over there the first time. And I watched God do things that would astound you. Because when God trusts a church with throne room conversations, is so serious that you cannot take it lightly because it becomes so familiar that, but just as easy as it's given, it can be taken. 
And I'm not here to create, uh, but we've all seen things happen that, 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 that will not happen to this ministry. Because when God gives the pen and he gives the revelation, if you'll follow it, he'll fight the battle. The pen is your weapon. Watch this. Right where I've been trying to get. Now I'm ready to preach. They're following him around, criticizing. The scribes are supposed to be writing the miracles. Instead, they're picking to death the miracles. I can't believe your disciples ate on the Sabbath. They plucked corn on the Sabbath, and it was going to heal somebody. That's all they could see. But in John chapter 8, the Bible said they brought the woman taken in the act of adultery. And notice who brought them, according to John 8. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery and threw her at the feet of Jesus. And they said, Jesus, Moses, and the law says she's finished. The law says it's over. The law says that her book is written and concluded and we're going to stone her to death. What do you say, Jesus? I'm, I can't prove it, but I'm going to preach it like I want to. This is my sermon. I'm going to preach it like I want to. The same finger that wrote the commandments on the stone with a finger of fire. Now he kneels down in the dirt and he says, I've been waiting on this for 3,000 years. You want to know what I got to say about this woman who's messed up her life and everybody says the book is finished. She's in a mess. She's filthy. She's dirty and nobody can help her. He says, And he took that finger that was the same God that wrote the commandments. Now the finger is skin, God in skin. And he starts writing in dirt. Stone is permanent, but dirt, he's writing in dirt. What was he writing? He was saying, I know that you messed up, woman, but let me give you some advice. If you ever find a dirty, rotten sinner that's really messed up and you want to see them get, get in bad trouble, don't throw them at the feet of Jesus. Throw them at the feet of a denominational board. Throw them at the feet of a bunch of mean preachers. Throw them at the feet of a bunch of self-righteous Christians. But if you ever want to see somebody get set free, throw them at the feet of Jesus. I, I can't prove it. I can't prove it. But I got a feeling when he started writing, he said, I know they think there's, I, I touch dirt. I touch dirty, dirty people and dirty families and dirty marriages and dirty ministries. I'm not afraid to touch the dirt, but I'm going to write another story. I know Moses and the law said you're finished, but I'm going to write 
a new story. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he can write you out of your mess. He can write you out of alcoholism. He can write you out of drug addiction. I don't care how long you've wrestled with it. I don't care how messed up your life is. If you let Jesus, he'll write another story. Give him a praise if you believe. Oh, praise him just a minute. Praise him at every campus. He's writing another story. It's not over. You don't have to live in the past. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in disgrace. You don't have to live in condemnation. He's writing another story. Oh, sit down. I'm almost done. I have seven more minutes and I intend to preach all seven. Tell somebody sitting beside you, I don't know what you're going through. Come on, do it. I deputize you. Turn to somebody beside you and say, I don't know what you're going through, but he's going to write you out of that mess. It's not over. It's just a comma. It's not a period. There's another chapter coming to your broken heart. There's another chapter coming to your divorce. There's another chapter coming to your addiction. There's another chapter coming to your abuse. Now, 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 how many of you are glad he wrote you out of the book of Moses and into the book of Jesus? How many of you are glad he wrote you out of death and out of defeat and into victory and to eternal life? Everybody who knows your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Shout just for a minute. We're going to preach in a minute, but shout and praise him. Said you were finished. The enemy said your family would never come up out of generational curses, but he wrote another story. See? Now see, I'm an organ generation preacher. That's why you that's why I can't go on. You shouldn't have touched that B3. I know y'all grew up with all these little Korg keyboards and, and all that, but I'm a preacher that came up in old tents and double-wide trailers. I preached all in North Carolina. They called it a church. It was a double-wide trailer. And all we had was a pulpit, a microphone, and an organ. But when the Holy Ghost started moving, that place started shaking. He needs to leave me alone. He needs to leave me alone. I don't want to embarrass you on your 17th anniversary. You got to stop for a minute. <laughs> all right, let, let, me, let me finish. He's getting me off timing. <laughs> Listen. The reason that I brought that story up about Jeremiah 36, I want to show you. I want to show you something. The Bible said God, if you read the whole chapter, God gave Jeremiah a powerful word for his generation. And the scripture said he got, he got, he got canceled by the culture <laughs> and banned from the temple. They would not let him come to the temple and threatened him with his life. And God said, that's all right. It ain't about you preaching. I just need you to 
get, call a scribe. And the Bible said in that chapter, he called a scribe and he said, tell him the sermon God gave you. And as long as you don't care who gets the credit, just let him write it down word for word. And the Bible said he wrote it down word for word. And even though Jeremiah was banned from the temple on the Sabbath, as the people were gathering, the Bible said this scribe, his notes probably look like that. He, he, he took, he took what God told him through the prophet and stood on a rock. And as they were going in to get their latte at the coffee bar, he stood outside and started preaching the word of the Lord. And it was like a, you remember what Jeremiah said? It's like a fire shut up in my bones. And when you get a song that came from the throne room, every, my sheep know my voice. When you sung two of those, several of those songs, my, that first one about the, all the names of God, my Holy Ghost said, whoop, that's one of ours. I'll be singing that one in my place. I'll be shouting on that one. And that last one, I'll be shouting on that one and the middle one too. I might as well take them all. Watch this. And the man just stands up and starts reading what came as he wrote it down. And the Bible said that even the false prophets, read that chapter when you get home, the false prophets stuck their ear out. And when they heard the word of the Lord, they knew this little thing that we're about to teach on seven ways to enjoy your winter vacation. It just ain't going to quite get it. And the Bible said they grabbed pens, read it, and they wrote down word for word what the man was saying and took off, left the church and took off to the king's winter palace. And the king was sitting by his fireplace and they come in and they said, sir, this is so important. We need to tell you Jeremiah has another hit. It's on fire. And we can pretend like we don't like it, but we like it. And we had to come interrupt your vacation, sir, at your winter palace because the word of the Lord is crazy and it's messing up the whole congregation. And the king said, let me hear it. Now, this is where the story gets unbelievable. And they start reading word for word everything. And the king pulled out his pocket knife your Bible said. And when he heard it, he said, I like that part. Leave it alone. That's the good part. I'm highly favored. I'm blessed. I, I'm, oh, I'm going to do good. God is with me. I like that. But then they'd get to some of that stuff about, but straighten up and live right and be holy and be clean and stand before me and love me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I don't like that. And he'd start cutting cutting that out and ball it up and throw it into the fire. Cutting. I, I hate to preach this. See, I had y'all happy a minute ago, but please don't become that ministry. We're not going to cut and paste the word of God. We still need the blood of Jesus. We still need the name of Jesus. There's no other name. 
I, I still believe that the Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman and we're not going to cut that part out. I still believe the Bible says holiness is right and separation and coming out from the world and being different. Oh, come on. It's in the book. It's Let's don't throw out everything because culture says it's too controversial. I'm afraid, and I'm old, I'm an old preacher, so I got a right to talk like this. And I just say to the young preachers, don't be a cutting edge preacher. Preach the eternal word of God. Let's don't cut hell out. Hell's in the book. Hell is real. And every now and then somebody needs to hell it. So, where'd that come from? So, so somebody needs, it needs to be more than a cuss word. It needs to be a conviction word. It needs to be something that somebody hears and says, oh my God, that's the word of God. Let's not cut out the judgment. Let's not cut out. I'm preaching better than you're letting on. Let's not cut out the sanctity of life. Jeremiah, when you were in your mother's womb before you ever got there, I called you. Let's not cut that out. I'm not going to cut it out. I'm not going to cut out the rapture. I'm not going to cut out. He's coming back again. The trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise. And we're going home to meet the Lord in the air. Preach the word. Sit down. I'm almost done. You know, if you're not careful in a great church like this, the Lord will give you a word because this man spends time in the throne room and you know, and you know when he speaks to you because it rocks you to, to your core and people all around you may not be that big of a deal into it, but when it's yours, write it down. But here's the point. The Lord spoke to me and he said to tell people at Elevation Church, I spoke to you. I made you a prophetic promise. And just because it has not happened, there is a tendency to pull out your little pocket knife and start whittling down. Well, maybe he really didn't say it. And, and you get it trimmed down to just what you can do. Just what you think you're capable of. Just what your mind can conceive. But if God said nations, then nations it shall be. If God says worldwide, then worldwide it shall be. Get your knife off the promise. Get your knife off what God's telling you. Music team, if God says you can feel Colosseums better than the Rolling Stones Beyonce, why don't we get that mentality and say, God, I'm going to take my knife off of it. I'm tired of trimming down the promise to what I can do. Maybe the first 17 years was just a test. Maybe where you're going is going to require more faith and you're going to look back in 17 years and say,
Turn to somebody right now and say, the Lord gave you that promise. Get your knife off of it. The Lord told you that there was life beyond your divorce. And just because you hadn't met them yet, get your knife off that promise and learn how to praise him until the answer comes. Now, let me finish play and they'll know I'm almost done. So here's where I've been trying to get to this whole little sermon. Habakkuk 2 in verse 2. Write the vision. Make it plain. But here's what got me. Psalms 45 and verse 1. You're not going to believe what God's pen is. Throw it up for me. Psalms 45 and verse 1. And the Lord answered me. There it is. Everybody, watch this. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of things which I have touched and made touching the king. My tongue, everybody shout my tongue, is the pen. Whatever I start praising him for, whatever I start prophesying, whatever I keep praying and praying and praying about and preaching and preaching and preaching about and praising and praising and praising about and prophesying to a new generation, a new generation. My children will be used of God. They will do mighty things. My tongue is the pen of the ready writer. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's power in what you continually praise, pray, preach, and prophesy? The Lord said this is not the final chapter of elevation, but tell the people to lift their voice and ascribe the greatness of their God. Tell the people that the pen is in this house. And that means miracles are ready to be written. That means stories and books are ready to come forth. That means businesses are about to be started that did not start in the flesh. They were born in this sanctuary under the anointed Word of God. You're about to write new chapters of your family. The first few were addiction and brokenness and curses, but the next generation, the next chapter will be blessed, will be anointed, will be favored. Get up on your feet at every campus and give the Lord a mighty praise. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also help us reach others by investing today at elevationchurch.org give. And thanks again for joining us on the Elevation Podcast.